good morning. I want to start by wishing you a really happy Memorial Day weekend. And it feels funny to say happy Memorial Day weekend because it feels like we've never left March in some ways. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when we think about Memorial Day weekend, that's kind of when we break out the grills and everything. And that probably doesn't feel special to you as well because you've been home and probably been grilling the entire time that you've been home. Uh, And maybe that's a good thing for us this year because certainly Memorial Day weekend, we always think about it kind of kicking off summer, but it means so much more than that because when we talk about Memorial Day weekend, we're really honoring the lives of those who have given their lives in the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom's cause for our nation by laying down their lives. And as I was thinking about that this weekend, I thought about a quote that I want to read you from Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln wrote this in a letter to a mother who during the Civil War had lost five of her sons. Can you imagine the pain that must have been hers? Listen to what Lincoln said in this letter. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of a republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid down so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. To all of our families who have men and women in the service right now, we want to say we thank you. We're praying for you today. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. And for all of you who have lost someone in the service of our country, what could we say to you besides thank you? We're so grateful for the freedoms that we have in our country. And we realize today and recognize again that freedom is never free. There's a cost behind it, and the cost behind it is tangible, and so we thank you for your sacrifice today. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country. We thank you for the men and women today who stand on guard and on post watching over us so that we may worship freely in a country that allows us to do that, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice that these men and women have made. And we pray, Father, that you would console the hearts of families who have lost loved ones in the service of our country. Father, we pray for our country today, and we ask that our country return to being a light for the world. Father, our our light has grown a little dark lately, and we pray, Father, that our country, especially believers, would know you, that they would live for you, and as you called us to be, that we would be the light to the lost world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, on Thursday, we sent you an update email, and in that email, we gave you a document that had a plan for our phase four. Just to be clear, that that plan really only gets us through probably the summer, and as we move towards the fall, we'll have more updates and information for you, but there was also a video in there, and I apologize again for how long that was, but it's a lot to talk about, and if you haven't looked at that video, I I'm just asking you to go back and do that. It's really important for you to understand everything 
that's going on as we make our plans to reopen. If you have any question about which phase we're in, just kind of consult the mayor's office because our phases are going to cons- uh, confirm with his uh, phases. They'll go right along with those. They're not going to be separated out from that. We're in a phase four program, as we've mentioned before, so just bear that in mind. And as we start this morning, I do want to say one more thing. Thank you again for your faithfulness to the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to give. We appreciate so much how this church continues to obey the Lord by giving. And I just remind you, you can do that online, or you can continue to mail in your tithes. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind you. Please, please, don't forget our Global Focus Missions offering. You've done great returning your tithes, but we still have mission partners that are waiting and counting on us to keep supporting them. So don't forget about that even during this time. Be praying for them. And let's make sure that we're giving faithfully so that they can continue the work. We had a great Global Focus executive team meeting this week, and we have some wonderful things planned for you in the fall as we think about kind of restarting Global Focus and getting us all on on point with that. I think you're going to be really blessed by that this fall. Well, today we have the opportunity to look at one of the most famous I Am statements. And for those of us who are believers, it's maybe the most comforting of all of the I Am statements that Jesus gives when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you say, well, how's that comforting? Well, it's because he talks about heaven. And for those of us who have lost someone, we know the comfort that has come from this passage as Jesus assures us of our place in heaven and that we know the way to get there. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to look at the first six verses. While you're turning there, I should mention, uh, you know, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses written by the original authors. That didn't come really until the 1500s. And you can imagine how difficult it would be if I just said, turn to the gospel of John and the sixth I am statement. And you just had to know where that is and find it. Uh, If you think finding Zephaniah is hard from the index at the beginning of your Bible, imagine how hard it is to find something like that. So the, the chapters and verses really help us But sometimes they artificially interrupt a train of thought, and I actually believe that that's what happens here. Uh, As helpful as they are, in the 1500s, they weren't worried exactly about the train of thought as we would be studying them. And as we look at that today, we're going to see that, and I'll show you how in just a minute, how these verses really are a continuation of chapter 13, the same setting, the same teaching, the same thought. So let's read John 14, verse 1, and we'll read these first six verses. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If we take John 14 out of context, we might easily believe that what Jesus is telling them is this kind of idea that, hey, everything's going to be okay. You don't have any worries. Don't let your heart be troubled. What is there to be worried about? But that would be artificial, and it would really miss the context of what happens. From time to time, there's a a little bit of Christian thought that pops up, and we've kind of described it here as don't worry, be happy Christianity, but that's not what Jesus is telling the disciples at all. If you look back at chapter 13, the 
context really gives you a deeper understanding to chapter 14. In John chapter 13, we have what's recorded as really the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper taking place. Now, John doesn't go into it into all the details that we see in the other Gospels concerning the Lord's Supper, but the events are the same. Did you notice in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet? Now, that's something that he's never done before, and that immediately would have set the tone for them that something is very different. He begins to talk to them about the kingdom, and he says that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you're here to serve. You're not here to rule over people. You're here to serve, and he demonstrates that for them. It must have been mind-blowing for the Savior of the world to get on his knees and wash the feet of the disciples. I can imagine how hard that must have been for them. But if that wasn't weird enough, then Jesus looks at them and says, one of you is going to betray me. Now imagine sitting in a room and you're sitting at a table and all of a sudden someone who you love says, one of you is going to betray me and then just stops. Can you imagine how your heart would start to race? And you might think, well, I hope he doesn't think it's me. What would I have done that would betray him? Why would he think that I'm betraying him? You'd start having that moment of introspection. Now, they already have some some things going on in their minds because Jesus has been talking about how the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests are going to, to take him and he's going to suffer and he's going to be crucified. He's been telling them these things. So this is all happening. And then he says, somebody's going to betray me. Man, that must have been tough. And then he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Imagine that. That would have signaled something, right? Because if we're all friends, if we're all disciples, I I don't have to worry about denying Jesus. So what is Jesus saying? The time of persecution and things are coming that are about to get hard. It's about to be difficult for you. So you can imagine that happening and everybody kind of getting amped up. And it's right after this that Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is the calm reassurance of a savior to his disciples. It's like he's saying, I know what you have heard and all these things are swirling around and I know that they're making you anxious, but don't let your heart rest there. Don't be overwhelmed by the circumstances Raise your eyes up and believe in God, but believe also in me. Now, the disciples certainly had these things on their minds. They knew that what was happening was coming to an end. There there was a verse that we didn't read last week as we were talking about the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You got to understand, they knew that the time was heightening up. And, and they knew that the Jews had on a couple of occasions tried to seize Jesus and they had tried to stone him. They were ready to do that, but he'd always escaped their grasp. And so right before they go to see Lazarus, the disciples are kind of questioning, why would we go back to Bethany? We know that there's trouble there. And Thomas says this, and I love this. Let me read it for you. John eleven sixteen. Then Thomas called twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. Isn't that funny? It's like he says, I believe there's a good chance here that Jesus is going to die. And what do we have left to do, guys? We might as well just go with him and we're all going to die. I mean, that's a little pessimistic, isn't it? They believed that the time was coming. And because of all of this, that's what Jesus says. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe that he has a plan. Believe in me. He didn't say, you know, you guys don't have any problems. Why are you worried? He didn't say your problems are insignificant. He could have made a a comparative statement. He could have said, what are you guys worried about? I'm the one that's about to go to the cross. But he doesn't do that. 
He said, don't let your heart be troubled. It's a choice. Don't let your heart be troubled. One of my favorite Christian authors is Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. And one of the things that I love that he says about Christians is that above all, Christians are realists. They don't look at life as if they have no problems. It's not like we live a fairy tale once we become a Christian. It's not like you live in some kind of bubblegum candy land once you become a Christian where everything just comes up roses all the time. No, Christians have real problems. The difference is, as Christians, we look our problems square in the face. We don't allow our hearts to be troubled because we raise our eyes towards Jesus and believe in him. Maybe was Jesus, Jesus was saying to them that they could trust God in the midst of all of their circumstances. Maybe he was even further saying to them, look, you've got a track record with me. You've been with me for three years. You've seen me calm the storms. You've seen me walk on the water. You've seen me heal the sick, raise the dead. You've seen me cast out demons from people that were running around without clothes on, cutting themselves. You've seen me handle all of this. Trust God. Trust me. You got a track record with me. He could have been saying that to them. I think this command was clear. Don't let your heart be troubled, but there was a basis for it. It's because of me. You know, sometimes I see that bumper sticker. Maybe you're familiar with it, I-G-B-O-K. Maybe you don't even know what I-G-B-O-K stands for and you wonder that it's like some kind of secret code. It's gonna be okay. You know, that's fine for a bumper sticker. It may be even good for a t-shirt, but it stinks when somebody just looks at you and says, hey, it's going to be okay. Well, how do you know? How how can you assure me that everything's going to be okay? Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, guys, it's going to be okay. He says, don't let your heart be troubled because you can believe in God and you can believe in me. You know, I'm not trusting a philosophy this morning that's just empty. I'm trusting in a person. And that's how we always do it, right? We trust in a person. If you want to sell a product... What you don't want to do is just say this product's going to work for you. You want to demonstrate it. You want testimonials from people. If you go to Amazon.com, you see that they have reviews and you want authenticated reviews from actual buyers who have reviewed things so that you can trust the product. Well, that's what we get in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, look at me. You can trust me. And here's how you can trust me because I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to heaven And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Look back at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus tells these disciples, I've got to leave. And if he was trying to comfort them, this probably wasn't the way to do it. Because he's telling them, I'm about to leave and go to heaven, and it's this place where you know where I'm going, except they're a little confused, right? He's talking about a place they had never seen. We get a little bit of a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like when we read the book of Revelation, and yet it's incomprehensible. It's indescribable. The best we can do is say that heaven has streets of gold, there's a crystal sea, there's pearly gates, those kinds of things, but that's even beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. And yet Jesus says, you know that I'm going there and I'm doing something while I'm there. I'm preparing a place for you. I don't know if you've ever had the experience like I have of showing up at a hotel and they say, well, your room's not ready. That's one thing. But if you show up at a hotel and they say, we have no record of your reservation, that's maddening, right? Because you know that you've called, you've put your credit card on file, or maybe you went online and did everything you thought you needed to do. And they say, we don't know who 
you are. We're uncertain about who you are. We don't have a spot for you. And Jesus says the exact opposite is true, right? In fact, I think what Jesus says is kind of best illustrated when you think about a young couple who's about to have a child. When a young couple is about to have a child, newly married here, and their first kid's coming into the world, they start doing things at home to make preparations for that child. They get a little room ready, don't they? They might paint the walls the color that would correspond to the gender of the child, maybe a blue color for a boy or, or maybe a pink color for a girl. Or if you're from East Tennessee, you just think that orange goes well with everything, and so you paint it all over your house because go Vols, right? I mean, that, that's how that works. You, you understand that, that you make preparations for the child. If it's a little boy, you put a truck and some blocks in the room. If it's a little girl, you put a soft blanket and maybe a, a baby doll in the room for that child. And, and maybe you start adding some clothes for that child. You make preparations for the person who's coming to live with you. Jesus said that that's what he's doing in heaven right now. He is making preparations for us right now. He's busy. He's not just hanging out. He's making preparations. There's plenty of room, and there's a room with your name on it. And guess what? It won't be ready until he's ready for you to come. But when you come home, your room will be ready. And here's the great news, folks. Our room is ready, and we can bring as many people as we want with us. That's the whole point of gospel engagements, isn't it? That's why we engage the world with the gospel, because it's just one sinner showing another sinner the way to a room. That's all that it is. We're just helping people along the way. That, that's what we do. And Jesus says, I'm up there doing that. I don't know, but I like to think that when we get to heaven, our room will have some personal touches in it just for us, because Jesus knows us, and he's thinking of us as he prepares that. Well, you can imagine the disciples saying, hold up. We left everything that we had to follow you. We, we literally left our boats. You could kind of put it this way. They burned their boats. They cut up their fishing nets. They left businesses. Matthew left his, his post as a tax collector. And they followed Jesus. And they've done this for three years, three and a half years. They've been with him. They've had no homes They've had no salaries, they have no investments, they have no 401k, they have no plan but Jesus, and now he says, thanks for coming and I'm out. I'm going away. And he says to them this funny thing, you know where I'm going and you know the way in which I'm going. You remember our good old friend Thomas, we just mentioned him. Well, long before he was doubting Thomas, he was confused Thomas. You can imagine Thomas looking around at the other guys and saying, what does he mean he's going away? And I can almost hear him clear his throat. <clears throat> Lord, how can we know the way you're going if we have no idea where you're going? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to a location, you have to know where that location is before you can chart the way. I mean, if somebody says like, hey, you know the way to my house and I don't know where you live, it's impossible for me to chart the way. I have to know the location first. And Jesus says, oddly enough, the opposite is true. He says, don't worry about the location of heaven. You know the way because you know me. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
When he says that, what he's saying is, you've known me, so therefore you know the way to the Father. You've seen me, so you've seen the Father. What a startling statement for him to make. Because what he just did was rule out all other ways. There are no other ways. And I realize that everybody is okay with Christianity until right at that point. Everybody's okay with it until it gets exclusive. And they feel offended by the fact that there's this exclusive claim made by Christians. But Christians don't make the claim. Jesus made the claim. Jesus says, there is no other way except through me. By the time that Jesus is living on earth, Hinduism has been in existence for 1,100 years, Buddhism for 500 years. The Greek philosophers have come and gone, and now the Romans are ruling. And he looks at all of that stuff and says, this is the best that man has been able to do, and it doesn't work because it's missing one important thing, me. Do you remember that the, The Jews were fine for Jesus to be a teacher, rabbi. They were fine for him to be a healer, but they bristled against him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God's son. And Jesus is saying, I'm fully God, I'm fully man, and I've come to take the sins of the world away, and the only way that you can make your way to heaven is through me. Well, that shouldn't surprise us, should it? I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door or the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. And now I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I don't say that to you this morning as if to say that I found something and I'm bragging to you about it. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, I want to explain something to you. I haven't found anything. Jesus found me. There's a parable that he gives that says, the shepherd goes and looks for the lost sheep. He leaves the 99 and goes searching for the one. And when he finds the one, there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one than the 99 who remained. That's how Jesus came. He came searching for lost sheep, lost men and women, people who were wandering aimlessly, who didn't know which way to turn. And you won't find it on an enlightened spiritual path. You won't find it through good works. You won't find it through making volunteer hours. You won't find it through making charitable contributions to your favorite nonprofit. It doesn't work that way. You can't find it in religion. You can only find it in Jesus. He's the one. He's the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And because of that, He's the only way for us to get there. Jesus said this about the way. He said the way is fiercely narrow. That means it rules out a lot of other things. In fact, all other things. I didn't make the claim he did, but I believe it because I believe God and I believe that Jesus was God's son coming to the world to take away the sins of the world. And then he says, I'm the truth. You can go on a search for a quest for truth Or you can find truth in the person of Jesus this morning. He is truth. He illuminates all truth for us. And then he says that he is the life. The only way for us to have life eternally is through him. Maybe today as a believer, you've got circumstances that have overwhelmed your heart. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And it's time for you to turn your eyes towards the Savior and look to him. And let your heart rest in him again. Maybe today you just needed the comfort of knowing that there's a place in glory. A room being prepared just for you right now. Jesus is doing it because he loves you. Jesus is busy making preparations for us. 
And your room won't be ready until he's ready for you to come, but I can assure you that when you get there, your room will be ready. And as we learned last week, one day he's coming back for us. Church, we need to be ready for that. We need to be about the Lord's business. We need to be serving the master. We need to be bringing as many people with us as we can. Let's live on mission this week. Maybe for you, you've never given your life to Christ. I'm just here to tell you he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to heaven. There is no other way apart from him. Give your life to Jesus today. He has come and he is ready. He's died for you. He's given his life for you. He's risen from the dead for you. He's the way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask now in this moment that you would do the work that you, came, that you sent Jesus to do. Holy Spirit, that you would convict hearts and minds of those who are not saved. Father, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to comfort our hearts as we think about heaven, that we would be excited about heaven. Father, that, that you would allow our hearts not to be troubled no matter what we're facing today as we look to you. I pray for those who are troubled this morning. Father, that they would look their problems square in the face and then turn their eyes to you. Father, give us courage. Give us hope. And Lord, above all, we confess today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Lord Jesus, thank you for making the way clear for us, for illuminating the path. Thank you for coming for us and finding us when we were wandered away from you. Lord, we give you glory and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I look forward as we move closer to the day when we're going to be back together. I remind you again that if you need to talk to a pastor, text our our church number, 615-833-6600. We'll be waiting to respond to you. If you have a prayer request, you can put it in there. If you want to know the Lord, we'll be happy to talk with you about that. There's no time like right now to give your life to Christ. God bless you. Keep serving the Lord. Keep on mission for the Lord. We'll see you soon.